Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a new series entitled, I'm Alright. I'm Alright. And if you think about those words, we usually base them on what we have, right? What we make, who we have, right? And how we're received by others amongst many other things. But how many of you know that anything that you base your life on has limits, right? The people that you maintain around you, that's to a limited extent that it'll make you feel all right. How many of you know that your money has limits, right? That's the truth, right? Whatever we maintain in life that we do for ourselves to have this sense of being all right, it has limits. But in the series that we've been in in the book of Romans, we've actually been seeing that anything that we take credit for or we do to be all right really doesn't leave us all right. You know, I remember years ago, uh, this was many years ago, this is pre-Pastor Annette, right? I, was, uh, I had gotten my first credit card. You remember when you got your first credit card? Listen, I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. Somebody deemed me worthy to give me some credit. I had a Capital One card with a $300 limit, and I thought I had it all together. So you know what I did? I went shopping, right? I went shopping, and I, and I remember going, and I said, I'm just going to buy myself a pair of jeans, not with my money because I didn't have any money, right? I'm going to use this card. So I went to buy a pair of jeans, and I bought a pair of jeans, and guess what happened? I said, well, you know, this shirt would look good with these jeans. So I bought a shirt, right? And then I said, you know, it'd be nice. I was walking by the mall, and I said, oh, those shoes would look good with that shirt and those pants. And so I bought shoot. Shoes, the shirt, and the pants. But how many of you know the shoes have to match with a belt, right? So I bought a belt to go with it. So I was feeling really generous. Now, mind you, I thought I had it together, right? I had some credit. So I decided I'm going to buy my sister a Christmas gift because it was around the holidays. And I walk into a Macy's, and I pick her up some stuff, and then I get on the line, and I'm waiting on this long line, and I finally get to the counter. And the young lady, right, pretty young lady, again, this is pre-Pastor Jose, so I'm trying to impress here, right? Um, she says to me, uh, okay, sir, this is, this is what it will cost. I give her my card, right, I'm all proud, and she rings it up, and it says, she says to me, sir, your card is declined. I said, oh, no, sweetheart, you, you, you got it wrong. You, you need to run that again, trust me. There's, there's money on that. I got credit. And she runs it again, and she says, sir, your card has been declined. Is there another card you'd like to use? Now I'm being mindful of everyone around me. I'm feeling embarrassed. And I said, there must be a mistake. Run it again. And she does. So needless to say, I felt, I left there feeling like this. I'll tell you why I share that with you. Because oftentimes we try to take the credit for what only God can do. And our credit, no matter how great your credit is, and no matter how much you have, it always has a limit. Today I want to talk to you from a topic that is personal and near and dear to, God, to God's heart. It's directly from his word. I am not here to give you my opinion. I want you to consider the truth that God's word reveals. We're going to be talking on a topic today, a new line of credit. A new line of credit. And this comes directly from the word of God. Now, this book of Romans that we've been studying was written to a people who were diverse. And they had many experiences, many uh, ideas and beliefs 
They came from different cultures. And, and, and a lot of what they did, the reason why Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to them was a lot of what they did was based on an outward expression of, in terms of relationship with God. But you see, that outward expression wasn't a reflection of what was going on in their heart. A lot of these people believed that it was based upon their religion that they were in relationship with God. You know how you know when you're basing your relationship with God on religion? When you go to church, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you behave so that you can feel good about yourself. You don't know God anymore. You just simply feel good because you did something for God. You ever been there? I've been there. Trust me, I've been there more often than, I, than I'd like to admit. But the truth is this, that our credit, our, the things that we do, our religious acrobats make us know better for God. And it's for that reason that Paul begins to address them in the chapter that we're going to look at today, which is chapter 4 in the book of Romans. And what we're going to see is that the only thing that makes us right is what God extends to us. So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 1. Starting there, it says, So what can we say about Abraham, the father of our people? This is, talking, uh, this is referring to the idea that uh, uh, Abraham was the very first person to take this step with God. It was one that pushed past his limits and what he could do for God. And so it refers to him as the father of the people of faith. And it says, what do we learn about faith? If Abraham uh, was made right by the things he did, he had a reason to boast about himself. But God knew different. That's why the scriptures say Abraham believed God, and because of this, he was accepted as one who is right with God. When people work, their pay is not given to them as a gift. They earn the pay they get. But people cannot do any work that will make them right with God. So they must trust in him. Then he accepts their faith, and that makes them right with him. He is the one who makes even evil people right. David said the same thing when he was talking about the blessing, uh, the, the blessing people have when God accepts them as good without looking at what they have done. Verse 7, it is a great blessing when people are forgiven for the wrongs they have done. When their sins, listen to this, are erased. It is a great blessing when the Lord accepts people as if they are without sin. Is this blessing only for those who are circumcised? Now, Paul here is addressing the mindset of Jewish Christians who believed, I'm made right by my circumcision, by my adherence to all these rules. And so he goes on to say, or is it also for those who are not circumcised, those who haven't followed those rules? We have already said that it was because of Abraham's faith that he was accepted as one who was right with God. So how did this happen? Did God accept Abraham before or after he was circumcised? In other words, was he accepted by God before he did, uh, he followed the religious rules or after it? And so it goes on to say this. Uh, where was that? Okay. Uh, God accepted him before his circumcision. 
Abraham was circumcised later to show that God accepted him, to prove it to people to, according to their religion. And so it goes on to say, they, uh, uh, so Abraham is the father of all those who believe but are not circumcised. They believe and are accepted as people who are right with God. Verse 12, and Abraham is also the father of those who have been circumcised, but it is not their circumcision that makes them, makes him their father. He is their father only if they live following the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so I want you to think about this. We're introduced to this guy Abraham. And what we're seeing is that this guy Abraham was made right with God, but it wasn't by his outward religious expression. It wasn't because of the songs he sang. It wasn't because of the behavior changes that he made. It wasn't because he said, I'm going to dust myself off and clean myself up and make myself look good for God. What Paul is um, implying here, what he's making clear is that for all you in this world, all these Jewish believers and Christian believers and even in the Muslim world that still till this day revere Abraham and are moved by his faith. He's saying the faith that Abraham had was in God. It wasn't in anything he could do for him. And I'm going to tell you why that's powerful. Because you can go from pursuing God out of a religious obligation to freely having a relationship with him. Can I tell you something that I so love about my wife? I don't have to prove to her that I love her. She accepts me. She cares for me on my worst day. You know what some of my worst days are made of? of? When I'm hangry. When I get out of here on a Sunday, I don't want to talk about service. I don't want to talk about people. What are we eating? Come on, some of you so spiritually minded, you can't relate to me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Listen, don't, please don't let the pastor title fool you. Please don't. Please don't. I am a person just like you. And the truth is this, that we all fall short. But thus, this is the reason why we need a Savior that has made us right with God for us. Because you and I can't do it on our own. We can't. I know that there are some of you that come here today because you went through the religious acrobats. You know what we refer to in some places? That church. That church. That church that dares to have a food truck and serve people in the community. That church where you don't have to wear a suit. That church where we just keep it plain to what the word says. Listen, I'd rather be that church than be the church that tries to prove themselves for God independent of Jesus. Isn't that good? Come on now, that's good stuff, man. That's, 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 that's how I'd like to keep it. And so we got to think about this because this guy Abraham, and we're going to look at his life a little bit, not too much, but this guy Abraham, you got to understand that when God introduced himself to Abraham, Abraham was a pagan. What does that mean? Abraham worshipped foreign gods. They bowed to statues. They had all these weird different practices. And this guy Abraham came from a people that were from a land called the Ur of Chaldees. 
And history records this society, these people. And these were an advanced people. These were people that advanced in the sciences, in the arts, in architecture. I don't have time to get into all that. But these were people that were self-made people. They had it together. People looked to these people in their time as the catalyst for what society was supposed to look like. Till this day, people study the structures that these people build in the, in the second dynasty and in the third dynasty because it makes no sense how they knew what they knew without the technology that we have. These people were advanced. And so Abraham was a guy that had much reason to put confidence in himself, in his possessions, in his upbringing, in his lineage, in who he was known as, as a person that was from Ur. And the thing is this, that when God introduces himself to this guy Abraham, none of that discredited Abraham from God. I'll tell you why I say that. Because Abraham was a self-made man, and he had no need for God in his understanding. And God said to him, let me show you something better. What you have, what you've amassed, where you come from, none of it is necessary for what I want to show you. Now, I'll tell you how that relates to us in this day and age. For some of us, we put great confidence in things. We put great confidence in our accomplishments. We put great confidence in our careers, in our material wealth, in our degrees, in what people think about us. But I want you to see something, that none of that makes you right. None of that sustains you in this state of being all right. The only thing that matters is what God has done. And so I want you to, I, we don't have time to get into this, but we got to wonder, what was it that made this guy, who was a self-made man, what was it about this guy who served other gods that caused God to turn to him and say, Abraham, I want you. It's for the same reason that God has declared through Jesus Christ to everyone, whether you are here or you are online or whether you hear this at some other time or whether you just started this journey or you've been on this journey, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't, it's for the same reason that God says the same to you, I want you. And we got to look for that answer in Romans chapter 12. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12. Now, I don't have time to read it, but I, I want to I wanna point your attention to what God did when he approached this guy, Abraham. Genesis 12 says that uh, the Lord went to Abraham and he said to him, um, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household, to a land that I'm going to show you. And he says to him, I'm going to bless you above all nations. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless all peoples through you. How would that come to happen? We would look to his example till this day and we would see how we become right with God and how his blessing works in our lives. And so the Bible says that this guy Abraham responded to God and he said, I'll go where you're sending me. So notice what God told Abraham. He told him, go from your country, go from your people, 
Go from your father's house. And in the, in the Hebrew, here's literally what it's saying. It's saying that God told him, leave your territory. When he tells him, go from your country, he's literally telling him, leave the territory that you've established. Leave your comfort zone. Leave what you've amassed. He tells him, leave your father's household. In those days, when you were in a part of a household, you were under the covering of the one who was the head. In other words, he's telling him, leave the one who provides you security and safety, the one who cares for you, the one by whose name you are recognized by all. He tells him, so he tells him, leave your household, leave your, fa- leave your country, and leave your people. Leave anything and everything that you have come to rely upon. And the Bible says that Abraham believed what God told him. He believed beyond his qualifications. He said, who me? Yes, me. Can I say this to you? Because somebody needs to hear this. For some of us, we question, why would God love me? Why would God choose me? And to you, I submit this, that the answer to your question is that you still have yet to believe that it's all based on what God did through Jesus. You still think that you add something to what God has done. And my friend, can I tell you with love, the truth is this, you're deceived. You're deceived. Let me share some scriptures with you that I, that I uh, wrote down for myself And I want you to consider what the scripture says about your qualifications. Hebrews 10.10, you're not going to see these up there, but I'll just kind of read them to you. But if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these down and go back to them. Hebrews 10.10 states this. It says, by that will, whose will? God's will. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Listen to what the scripture says. You have been made holy. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, not through your sacrifices, not through your giving, not through your religious activity, not through how much you read the Bible, not through how much you behave, not through how much you change about yourself. No, it's all through the sacrifice of Christ. You've been made holy through that once and for all. And so I want you to hear the whisper that God is speaking to your heart right now. He's saying, in Christ, I've made you holy. I've made you holy. You are holy. For some of us, we think about holy, and we think about holy like in Torah genes. Like we're missing something. No, 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 no. You are completely holy. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2.13. It states, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Through sanctification, that means to be set apart by the Spirit, not by your hands, and belief in the truth. Listen to what God is whispering to our hearts. In Christ, I've chosen you and I've set you apart as my own. Jesus said this in John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to bear much fruit. Listen, anything that you could ever accomplish that's worth something in this life is all by the work of Christ in your life. That's good news because guess what? You want to do some great things in life? You want to find your purpose? Instead of trying to make it happen and looking to your talent and your skill, start looking to God and say, Lord, 
You're the one who has given me gifts. But Lord, I want to know you above everything. Take me where you want me to go. That heart right there will open doorways to you that you will never be able to accomplish on your own. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a famous one. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen closely. Listen to what God is whispering to you and I. In Christ, everything about you, apart from me, the old, it's gone. And you are completely brand new in my sight. You know why that's good news? Because it's better than anything that you and I have ever had that's new. You know what's true about the new things we have? They grow old. They decay. But not what God has done. What God has done is completely brand new. Remember what the scripture said. We just read it in Hebrews 10.10. It's once and for all. It doesn't just cover your past. It doesn't just cover your present. It covers your tomorrows. That means this, that when you drop the ball today, God already forgave you. That means that what you may be thinking right now, God has already forgiven you. That means that what you're planning on doing when you get out of here, God has already forgiven you for that. Why? Because it's not based on what you and I can do. Listen, if it was then we wouldn't need Jesus. It's the reason why he gave us a Savior. Because we need a Savior that doesn't just cover us for our past, but one that covers us for the rest of our lives into eternity. My friends, that is good news. That is great news. That is true grace and forgiveness. And listen to Colossians 1.22. It states, uh, that God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ. In other words, he's restored you back to the place of complete relationship with him. Through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him. Watch this. Without a single fault. Listen to what the scripture is saying. Listen to the voice of God. In Christ, I've made you blameless, and I see no fault in you. Now, I want you to think about this. If God says that he sees no fault in you, then what makes your opinion of yourself any better above God when you think something's wrong with you? You truly are all right. And thus... The issue isn't what God hasn't done that we believe he hasn't done. The issue is that we still believe that we can do it for God, that we have to do it for God. And this leads us to an important point that I want you to consider. We become righteous before God before we ever do anything right for him. I'm going to say that again because that's powerful. We become righteous before God before we can ever do anything right for him. Man, if you believe that to be true, if you are just letting the word of God minister to you right now, then I dare you to say this with confidence. I really am all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. And you know what that does for you when you understand that you've been made right with God? You'll never run from him. You'll run to him. 
You'll run to him on your worst day. You will begin to believe the best about you because God says you are good enough because I paid more than enough for you. Man, that's good news. And so one of the most powerful verses in the Old Testament in the Bible really is in Genesis 4, verse 4. And it's when Abraham responds to God, and he says to God, it says, So Abraham went as the Lord told him. And I'll tell you why that's powerful. Because that word went there in the Hebrew doesn't just simply mean, doesn't just simply speak of going and following and, and, and uh, going in a direction. It's duly used in the Hebrew to mean this, to put something to death. In First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you'll see that there are many times where it says that a certain king went on to be with his fathers of old. It's talking about dying to something. And so literally what we're seeing here is that Abraham didn't just leave his home. He didn't just leave his people. He didn't just leave his father's covering. Abraham put to death any belief that he drew from his past experiences, any confidence that he drew from anything that he had already done or from his line or from his family name, all that died. And watch what came to life. A belief that everything that God declared about him and what God had for him was completely true. Completely true. I want to read you a verse from the words of Jesus. I'm only going to read verse 24 in John chapter 12. Jesus says this, I assure you. In other words, you can count on my words. He says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Just one grain, never more. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And it yields a harvest. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read you verse 25 too. It says, the one who loves his life eventually loses it through death. Now watch this. But the one who hates his life in this world, and that's not talking about you loathing yourself. In the Greek, here's what it's literally saying. The one who detests anything that they can draw from this world apart from God. And so he says this. He says, uh, um, But the one who hates his life in this world and is concerned with pleasing God will keep it for life eternal. And I want you to think about this. According to the example of Abraham and the words of Jesus, here's what we see. Something has to die in order to produce what God wants. And can I tell you what needs to die? Beliefs. That cause us to put confidence in self. That has to die. That has to die. That has to die. I'm going to tell you why it has to die. Because it will fail you. You ever thought you were doing a good thing? And it was the right thing? And this is the best thing? Right? And God, I'm just telling you, this is why it's so good. You ever done that? And then it just blew up in your face? You know why it blew up? Because there was no confidence in God. Look, I'm no better than anyone. 
Can I tell you that I am that person, and some people find this hard to believe, but I am that person that grew up while appearing to have it all together before everybody and being the most confident and the toughest and the coolest and whatever, trying to be all that. I, I did that very well, but let me tell you what I suffered from within my heart. A complete lack of confidence. I was the most insecure person. And can I tell you why I share that with you? Because when we try to make ourselves right before God, when we try to justify ourselves in life by what we do and what we get and what we accomplish, the only thing we're doing is hiding insecurities. It's not reality. So what can we learn? I'll leave you just three simple things because I've, I'm completely run out of time. But I'll leave you with just some three simple things. The first thing I want to leave you with is that you don't have to feel right with God to be right with God. You don't have to feel right to be right with God. Listen closely. The scriptures say that Abraham believed God and God declared him righteous. Abraham did not feel uh, any certain type of way in order to be right. He didn't say, you know what, well, I feel right and I feel good and I, I feel like I'm holy. Can I tell you that holiness is not a feeling? Can I tell you that right standing with God is not a feeling? On your worst day, you are still God's best. On your worst day. Listen, when you drop the F-bomb, you're still righteous. When you get cut off, and some of you, maybe you think about flipping someone the bird, you're still righteous. When you say the nastiest things, you're still righteous. Now, I know that's messing with some of us because we go, but wait a minute. Wait a minute, but if I'm righteous, then I wouldn't do that. That is a lie. God chose you and I while we were still in our messes. And God is still with you while you're in your messes. Listen, God doesn't relate to us like some of our parents did. Well, when you mess up, you know, don't talk to me. Stay away from me. No, you did that. God doesn't relate to us how some of us relate to each other in our marriages, in our workplaces, in this world. No. The scripture says this, that we can only love. We love, John, uh, 1 John 4 says, because God loved us first. First. Somebody said it right. Somebody said, thank you, Lord. Amen to that. Romans 4.16 says this, see, so, what, so people get what God promised, watch this, by having faith. By having faith. This happens so that the promise can be a free gift. And if the promise is a free gift, then all of Abraham's people will get that promise. I'm just going to stop right there because I want you to see something. That it's only faith. And what God has done that gives us access to the free gift of his forgiveness and righteousness. It's nothing else. Somebody say, no pressure. Somebody say, it's not that complicated. Listen, you got to get this. It's not based on what you do. If it is, then it's not a gift. 
You earned it. You worked for it. The second point I want to leave you with here is that what you do can never outdo what God has done. What you do can never outdo what God has done. As I said, Abraham was a man of great accomplishments according to the world's standards. He came from a superior group of people, superior in their intellect, superior in their power, superior in their advancements. But when Abraham encountered God, God took none of that into account. You know why that's important to consider? Because for some of us, we do something good and we say, oh, God, I worship you, God. God, look at what I did for you. Listen to what we're trying to do. We're trying to get approval. You're already approved. (laughs) The scripture says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see this? Your resume, it's kaputs. You don't need it before God. There's only one thing that God looks at. His son. And this is why the scripture says you must be born again. You must be born again. You know why we have to be born again? Because the old life leads to death. God sees you and he's restored us back to new life according to Christ. Man, that's good news. That is really good news. The last point that I want to leave you with here in this message is that when you believe right, you'll live right. I'm going to say that again. When you believe right, you'll live right. I want you to think about what that actually means. Because whether you're conscious of it or not, you are acting on your beliefs. You're living according to them. And for some of us, we never take the opportunity to actually consider what we believe. But the proof of what we believe is contained in what's coming out of our lives. And when it comes to relationship with God, I want to just challenge you to consider this. What does your approach to God say about what you believe? What does it actually reveal? Are you working yourself to try and feel right before God? You know, it's funny, but I bump into people all the time in the weirdest places. Man, I'm telling you, we've been out of state. And somebody says, Pastor Jose, Pastor. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, what? (laughs) It's the weirdest thing. But then you'll hear something like this. Man, you know, I haven't been in church in so long. I'm so sorry. And I'm like. What? It's like we feel like what we do makes us right. And what I'm telling you is this, that it's a wrong belief. And thus you feel guilty when it comes to the things of God. But God has set us free. Free indeed. Listen to what Titus 3 verses 3 through 8 says. It says, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves... We're stupid and stubborn. (laughs) I know that almost sounds offensive, but consider the magnitude of what it's actually saying. It says, we were easy marks for sin, ordered every which way by our glands. In other words, our own 
inclinations, our own desires, our own impulses. Going around with a chip on our shoulder, hating and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior, stepped in, he saved us from all that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. Nothing. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. Let's stand here today. I want you to think about those words as we're coming to a close. Because what the author inspired by the Holy Spirit here is reminding us of is where we were. Not when we found God, but when we discovered that God was already there and he had already found us. Can I tell you, my friends, that for some of us, we're trapped in a belief, in a mindset, in a place in life where we believe in error and we're stuck. I'm reminded of a story I heard one time of this really rare gorilla. This gorilla was in a cage. And this zoologist traveled from all over, from, from the other side of the world to come see this gorilla. And he took the whole week to, to tour this whole facility because there were so many different rare and exotic animals. But he wanted to see this gorilla. And so on day one, he sees this gorilla in a cage that was four feet by four feet square. And he looks upon this gorilla with great pity. You see, this gorilla was trapped in this cage and he would take two steps forward and two steps back. And two steps forward and two steps back. And the way the story goes, because this guy was such an enthusiast when it came to animals and he loved them so and he loved what he did, he said, this is an injustice. See how little space he has to roam freely. And so the next day when he comes to the zoo, he happens, he's going on a tour and he, he, he wants to see the gorilla again, to gaze upon it. And he looks at the gorilla and he discovers that they put him in a cage that's three times the size. So this, this cage is 12 by 12 feet square. But the gorilla takes two steps forward and two steps back. And two steps forward and two steps back. And the, the zoologist turns to them and he goes, Poor gorilla. He needs a natural habitat. He needs to be in a space where he feels like a gorilla, where it's the real thing. And so he raises all these funds and he gets all these people to donate and they build this exotic environment for this gorilla. Oh my God, there's beautiful exotic birds and monkeys and trees and all types of fruits and waterfalls and creeks and ponds and fishes. And he travels back weeks later to see this gorilla. And they pull this gorilla out. It was tranquilized, you know, to get him in there. And, and so everybody's waiting and the gorilla begins to wake up and he looks around and he, he takes a sniff and he 
takes in the sounds and he looks at the birds and he looks at everything and he takes two steps forward and two steps back. Two steps forward and two steps back. See, the problem wasn't the environment. The problem wasn't the cage. The problem wasn't the people who put him in the cage. The problem was that this gorilla believed that he was limited to two steps. And can I tell you how that relates to us? For some of us, we believe that we're limited to what we do for God. And I'm telling you that what Jesus did has broken the bond, the, the, the bondage of that cage, and you are free indeed. Open your eyes, open your heart, and believe the word of God. That you are all that you will ever be in Christ. Because it's a work of Christ. Later on in this series, when we get to Romans 12, we're going to be studying how transformation happens. And I'm just going to clue you into that. The Bible says that we should not conform, but that we are to be transformed by the renovation, the renewing of our mind. See, the problem is this brain of ours, these beliefs of ours, these minds of ours have to catch up to the truth that the Word says. And today I simply want you to take God at His Word and realize that you have been made righteous and you are holy completely by the work of Jesus Christ. By what Christ has done. The scripture says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know what the scripture is saying there? He believed God and he got a new line of credit. You know how? Because it was all based on the one who bankrolled the whole thing, God himself. My friend, you don't have to rely on your credit any longer. You can rely on what Jesus has done and be free. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.